chocolate, cheese, mountains, banks, neutrality. Watches. If watches. <laughs> yes. if after those six words, you haven't <laughs> figured out where Arpin is talking to us from today. There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing I can yeah. do for you. Uh, I am Marc-Antoine Godin, live from Montreal, and Arpin Bessou is in Switzerland. I am in Switzerland, on the northern edge of Zurich, just south of Clutton. Um, obviously here to see David Reinbacher and, uh, and do a little reporting on him. Yeah, so I'm going to watch him play shortly. Um, I'm going to watch him play tomorrow again in Ambry. Uh, I guess Ambry Piotta, and so it's uh, so yeah. Eager to see him play. He's been playing better of late. Um, I've had a chance to speak to a lot of people about him, and uh, but we'll talk about that as part of Future Friday towards the end of the episode. Um, thus far, I, I apologize for the harsh lighting. This is the best I could do. I forgot my <laughs> podcast. I forgot my podcast light. So this is a situation of my home here in 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 the north end of Zurich, but. Um, I think David Reinbacker came up in the news this week um, for entirely different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So it was uh, sort of a an old story that was rehashed mm -hmm. on the uh, uh, you know on the heels of of Cutter Gauthier being traded uh, from Philadelphia to the Anaheim Ducks. So the story goes back to uh, last draft, basically. Mm -hmm. So Cutter Gauthier had been. Fifth overall pick by the uh, the Philadelphia Flyers in 2022, so the Uri Slavkovsky draft. And then a year later, knowing by then, the new administration, the new front office, knowing by then that Kutter Gautier did not want to sign with them, were already shopping him. And the story came out uh, from the draft floor that they had – At the very least, they had tested the waters and gauging the value of Gauthier by asking the Canadians, would you be interested in um, in giving us your fifth pick in exchange for Gauthier? Uh, in all likelihood, they were interested uh, in drafting David Reinbacker in that fifth pick, not not necessarily Mich uh, Matvey Mishkov, uh, which they did with the seventh pick. Um So the Canadians said no. So basically, the Canadians would rather have David Reinbacker than Cutter Gauthier. A few months after, I don't know if that equation, if that decision would still be the same. But uh, what do you make of that uh, that little intrigue story? Well, well, that was that was that was uh, reported by our old buddy Charlie O'Connor, who used to be our, both of our colleague at the Athletic, is now at a. PHLY. I don't even know how you say it, but anyhow, it's, uh, I guess, Philly, uh, Philly podcast. And, and so, yeah, so he reported not only that the Flyers would take David Reinbacker because it would be a two for one for them because they knew that Arizona wasn't going to take Matt Vimichkov. They thought Montreal might take Matt Vimichkov. So if they could get number five and they knew Arizona would take David Reinbacker at number six, which yeah. I can 100% confirm that's what that was the guy they targeted. So, <clears throat> If they were to be able to get this trade, they could get David Reinbacher, and they would probably also get Matt Vimichkov at number seven. By doing that, they would eliminate the risk of the Canadians taking him, even though I don't think the Canadians ever really strongly considered taking him. Um, so obviously, I, I did a lot of digging at the drafts uh, in Nashville about the amount of trades offers that were made for this pick. Um, so not spe specifically speaking to whether they, why they chose this, why they rejected this trade 
or or not. Um, generally, the sense I got from conversations I had was that nothing that was offered, I, everything that was offered either was problematic or did not meet what the Canadians believe David Reinbacker's ceiling to be. Mm-hmm. Um, a reminder that at the time, speak again, speaking to some some team sources, you know, they looked at David Reinbacker as Noah Dobson. Now, that didn't sound all that outrageous or all that impressive. Well, it, it did sound, Noah Dobson was a very good player before now, but they saw his future as being someone similar to Noah Dobson, more so than a Moritz Sider, which is the, the, the frequent comparable. Right. And so... Noah Dobson is having a, a Norris Trophy candidate type of season right now. Yes. So like no, and and at the time, what I was told is like try trading for Noah Dobson, you won't be able to do it. Yeah. And sure enough, right now, if anyone were to approach the New York Islanders and say, "What do you need? What do you need for Noah Dobson?" and they're going to be like, "Yeah, I'll see ya. This is not a conversation we're getting getting involved in." So. Listen, rightly or wrongly, the Canadians are very high and remain high on David Reinbacher, and we'll get into his season later on in the show, but they were just as high on him at that time. Um, other conversations I've had since then um, suggested to me that you know they see him higher than pretty much any defenseman available in the upcoming draft. So there's and there's a lot of them. You know, it's a defense-heavy draft, and a lot of people are asking questions like, why did they take a defenseman when there's all these defensemen available this year? Well, in their eyes. They see Reinbacker as having a higher ceiling or a better potential, um, and being a, just a, a more a, a more scarce piece, I guess, is a right shot. And with this size and with everything, so again, that's 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 their opinion, and they have and that's that's what they're supposed to do as a as a hockey operations department. So I think they saw Cutter Gauthier as the fifth pick in a weak draft. Um, and that he did not meet the value, uh, did not meet the value of the fifth pick in a strong draft. A lot of people disagreed with their pick of Reinbacker in that strong draft, obviously, because yeah. Mitchkov went after him, Benson went after them. A lot of the people that that made this draft as strong as it was went after they took Reinbacker, but the Canadians see Reinbacker as being that strong of a player. So, um, not surprising to hear Charlie's reporting. I, 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 just based on what I heard and what I've, I talked to, I mean, listen, the, the, the Askarov ask or offer was real as well. Uh, Predators offering their first round pick, which, uh, which was what, 13th, I forget. Um, 13th, somewhere in the, 13th. somewhere in the teens. Yeah. Plus Askarov, who was a former first round pick, uh, that was turned down. So, you know, the Canadians had a lot of offers for that pick. It wasn't, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of them were even better than what we know about. That some of them were better than Cutter Gauthier straight up. Some of them were better than Askarov and, and Nashville's first. Like there was a lot of demand. They were the definite pivot point of that draft because there was a clear top four. And let's be clear: if the Canadians had a top four pick, they would have taken one of those four guys. They would not have taken David Reinbacker. They surely would have taken whoever dropped to them at four. But as holding the fifth pick, they were the the pivot point of the draft, and they were fielding calls all over the place. So it's not surprising in the least to hear about Charlie's reporting. There were other offers made. Um, they were pretty steadfast that they needed to be blown away to trade that pick. And they yeah. clearly weren't. So there's also a bit of recency bias when it comes to cut to go to all of a sudden is, is, you know, obviously he's been 
shining at the World Juniors. Uh, he's, he's World Championships too last year. The, well, earlier, yeah, yeah, earlier, yeah. Well, yeah, the twenty three World Championships playing with men. He was he was excellent. So his his uh, you know his pedigree is 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 trending upwards, and Brian Backer mm -hmm. will get to him later on, but seems to have a by to a certain extent an underwhelming season. Um, but it's interesting when you. When you look at the at the at the needs of the Montreal Canadiens, you know people say, "Oh, don't draft for needs," and yet a few months after, when we discussed the the the, the hypothetical uh, scenario of a trade, you know that would in it, in a sense would have mounted to to Reinbacker for for Gauthier, you also look at the fact that yeah, the Canadians are loaded with defensemen, but what they need. Is a guy who ultimately could complement their top six, who could play the wing, could play center, who can score goals, who can score goals, who's got yes. a bigger body, which is also something that they, uh, the the Canadians front office value. Uh, so, even though that logic of saying, well, it was a weak, he was a fifth pick in the weaker draft versus the fifth pick of a strong draft, and mm -hmm. does it? Do we still have to carry that argument, you know, months after the draft, or basically once those guys are drafted, they should be put on the, uh, you know, on on the same scale and just determine, well, who are they today, and how good are they, and how how good are they going to become? Yeah, yeah, you should. Um, you got to remember that at the time, um, you know, Gauthier had trying to think of the time. Yeah, he had not played his freshman year at Boston College yet. He was still at the National Development Team program. Um, had not had that World Championships that we referred to. Had not had the World Juniors that we just saw. I mean, it's just like it's – they were going on the on his body of work. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. He had played his freshman year at Boston College. Excuse me. But they, they based on the body of work at the time, they made an evaluation. Was it a – again, was it the correct evaluation? I don't know. But I think that's – I think that's how they viewed it. And so it's it's – You know, it's rightly or wrongly, the Canadians have invested a lot in this kid. I mean, that's the thing. And then, and and they were prepared to make that investment even before they made it, even before they made the pick. They were so hell-bent on taking this guy. And, and honestly, like, it's my impression that most of the trade offers they were fielding, and I think I've said this before and I've reported it, it's most of the trade offers they were fielding were for teams who were trying to get Reinbacker. It was not teams trying to get Mitchkov. It was really, that was the focus of most of the trade conversations because everyone knew that he, you know, Reinbacker was not getting past six in Arizona. Yeah. Like that was the most worst kept secret at the draft was Arizona coveted David Reinbacker to no extent, uh, to, to no end, I should say. And, um, And so that's why Montreal's pick became that much more attractive. You know, they were one before Arizona. So they were fielding lots of calls. But as much as many teams in the league coveted this guy, the Canadians apparently coveted him more. Um, we'll see if they're right. You know, I mean, that's kind of the thing with uh, with draft picks is that, and which I don't like, is I get that it's a lot of people's livelihood to evaluate these kids in the public sphere, let alone the scouting community in the NHL and everything. <laughs> And it's often black and white and it's not black and white. And so there's, 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 and especially when you're talking about a kid like this who plays in a, a, not a, not a common league for a draft prospect to play in almost 
almost no draft prospects come out of the the National League and absolutely absolutely zero draft prospects come out of the Swiss League, which is where Ryback was playing a year before his draft year. So, you know, it's hard to it's not an apples to apples comparison. And so you really gotta trust your gut and know what you're seeing and what you're what you're talking about. And the Canadians are confident that they've done that, but remains to be seen. I mean, it's just like it's there's no there's no way of knowing who the better player is going to be right now. No. When you mentioned the the offers that they fielded at the draft, uh, just going back to Nashville for a second, which would they had the fifth fifteenth uh, pick, not the thirteen or fourteen, but the fifth Nashville, drafted, Nashville, right? Yeah, they drafted Matthew Wood with it. But I always thought that it was a bit odd that Askarov was in play then. He seems to be still in play because they're they're they seem eager to to re-sign UC Saros and he would be their guy. They're in a position where they could be rebuilding. I mean, they're doing they're doing better than anybody expected so far this season. Mm -hmm. But they're in a position where they could easily say, you know what, we're we'll clean the deck a little bit or or rejuvenate our roster. And from that perspective, trading the old, established, coveted, proven goalie for like a, a quite a big haul and turn to your former first round goalie who's meant to be like an excellent prospect is the thing that would make sense. So the reason why Barry Trotz is not going that way and has been considering to trade Askarov for many months now, mm -hmm. it's I, I find it odd and a bit It raises a red flag regarding Askarov, as far as I'm concerned. Well, not only has he been shopping him, but no one took him up on the offer. I mean, look at the league right now. How many teams need a goalie? And it's not like this guy is stuck. Look, listen, he's played two games in Nashville this year. 1.47 goals against, 943 save percentage, 33 saves. And it's, you know, two goals against on 35 shots in two games, 82 minutes. His numbers in the AHL, it's 18 games, uh, 11-6-1, and 920 save percentage, 2.13. His numbers last season, which is the the data set that they'd be going off of at the at the draft, he played 48 games in Milwaukee, 26-16 and 5, 9-11, 2-6-9. So there's something going on with this dude because honestly, like it's it's this was another one of the worst kept secrets of the draft was that Yaroslav Askarov was available. And the Canadians are far from the only team who decide to pass on this guy. So the numbers would suggest that any team needing a goalie of the future, of the present, regardless. We'll be jumping all over him. So yeah, I agree. There That's are it. some there are some red flags there that uh, seem from both sides, from the fact that Nashville even wants to trade him, and from the fact that they weren't able to. So okay, so if we move on from the the, the Cutter Gauthier and Reinbacker thing, although I was I was told by someone uh, that the, that not only that that Gauthier did not want to play in in Philadelphia, but He had a limited number of destinations where he was truly willing to play. Uh, you know, it's I don't know I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if Montreal he would have been comfortable in playing in Montreal. We'll see. We'll never know. But there are all sorts of reasons for players to look down on Canadian destinations, on cold weather, on taxes, and whatnot. If you're in a in a position like like Gauthier as a as a NCAA prospect who you know, in a couple of years could have the decision to, to, to could become a free agent if he's not happy where the, the, with the team that he belongs to. Uh, 
it's always something that you need to consider before acquiring a guy like that. So if that that is that holds through, uh, before the Canadians were to try to acquire him the way that Anaheim did, uh, you know, by giving up Jamie Drysdale, I'm not sure if the Canadians have a Jamie Drysdale in in, in you know in stores right now. They have they have Reinbacker. <laughs> they have, have Reinbacker, but still Reinbacker. That's is what not, it would have taken. Yeah, but Reinbacker is not Jamie Drysdale right now. Jamie well, the Drysdale is really already playing in the NHL. I understand, yeah. but the Flyers clearly had interest in this player. They have him. Like yeah. that's what it would. That's the equivalent to Jamie Drysdale in a trade that the Canadians would have had to give up. But they already said no to that. So I mean, there's no point. There was no point in even exploring that because I don't think I don't think Caden Gooley plus plus was going to get it done. You know. No. Um, all right. So if we move on from Cutter Gauthier to another Anaheim Duck that's been linked to the Montreal Canadiens in the past few days. I mean, a lot has been going on. A lot of shit's been going has on. Really been, has he really been linked? I think people are linking him. I don't know yes. how, I don't yeah, know how yeah. linked he uh, yeah. is. People yeah. are linking him because yeah. Trevor Zegras seems, it seems as though the, the, the Anaheim Ducks are entertaining the possibility of moving him, uh, which was already a little bit rumored while uh, he was in contract dispute with, with the, the, the Ducks. Uh, I can't wait! For, I can't wait for Cutter Gauthier's contract dispute with the Ducks. That's going to be wildly entertaining. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, He's going to be like, "What have I done? How did I? How did I engineer a trade to this GM, the most <laughs> grindiest GM in the NHL?" Well, well have I, fun with have fun with that one, Cutter. I'm sure your I'm sure your bridge deal in a couple of years is going to look great. Yeah, yeah. So Trevor Zegras, I mean, uber talented. Everybody knows that. Uh, I'm I'm always a bit uh, uh, hesitant to compare talented with excellent in the sense that you can be the most talented, but that won't necessarily make you the best because mm-hmm. if efficiency sometimes on the ice is one thing, and you know he's 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 crafty, but. Again, we're talking about red flags with Askarov. Why a guy that's so skilled, so dazzling, would be considered by the Anaheim Ducks as a guy that you could part with? And I think that some the part of that answer uh, lies in the fact that he's not exactly a 200-foot player. But let me ask you this question, because so many people linked Trevor Zegers to Montreal as a guy that like a, a, a trade candidate, a guy that a, a trade target. Do you think that he would fit well under Martin Saint Louis on the Montreal Canadiens top six, and that if if the the, the Anaheim Ducks are get I don't know greedy or or they ask a lot in his return in return for his services, do you think that he's sort of guy that you sell the farm for? Uh, no, I don't think he's, you know, I mean, listen, the Ducks should be greedy. You know, his first two seasons, he had 61 and 65 points. No, sorry, I shouldn't say that. His first two full seasons, he had 61 and 65 points. He's a center. He's incredibly imaginative. He's a highlight reel waiting to happen. He's 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 the the type of offensively creative, imaginative player that the Canadians lack. He's mm-hmm. tight with Cole Caulfield. There's there's lots of there's lots of natural assumptions to make when it comes to Trevor Zegers filling a hole that the Canadians quite clearly have. Um, yeah. That said, a fully healthy version of the Montreal Canadiens and Martin Saint Louis is given this roster with Trevor Zegers on it. Like, first of all, does he play center? Doubt it. Um, 
would probably slot in on the wing either with uh with Doc or Suzuki. Um but I've I've had multiple conversations with just generally NHL people, not Canadians people, but just people around the league talking about him. And there does seem to be a, just a general sense that, you know, that he doesn't rub everyone the right way. And, and, and again, I think that's a more of a them thing than a him thing. Like everyone in hockey has a certain vision of what hockey play NHL players should be like and what they should do, the details that they need to pay attention to the 200 foot game that you mentioned being complete or at least trying to be complete. Recognizing of course, there's a, saying, there's a saying to play the right way, as if the right way was one thing specific. Exactly. That the right thing is this defined, codified, black and white thing. So um, I think there's a lot of people in hockey who don't think he plays the right way. And I don't know how the Canadians feel about it, but you know, for a, such a detail-oriented coach, and a coach who's trying to implement those elements into Cole Caulfield's game as we speak and has made it a priority and that Cole Caulfield has bought into and decided that, yes, I need to make this a priority as well, which has maybe worked to the detriment of his offensive game. Um, and he deserves credit for that. But I think, I think the Canadians would see Zegris as a guy they would have to go through that process with as well. And yeah. the red flag there would be is what if Anaheim's already tried and it hasn't worked and he hasn't bought it. So, Listen, I would, I wouldn't bet the farm. I wouldn't sell the farm to get him, but I would make a competitive offer to get him. And listen, a competitive offer is going to include someone like Caden Gooley. Like it's going to include someone of significance that the Canadians probably don't want to trade and don't want to part with because Trevor Zegris is a pretty special player, you know. And so, but I, am I convinced that that's going to happen? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really – I don't think this Canadian's management team or this coaching staff would endorse hypothetically including someone like Caden Gooley in a trade for Trevor Zegers, even though that's what it would – that's that's probably a fair offer. And then, frankly, the Canadians would probably have to have a pick on top of, on top of Gooley. Right. So, I see um, I see their – I could easily see their first-round pick being in play this summer if they were to make a move on a young – Up and coming well, the, star. Their first round pick this summer. That's they shouldn't. They wouldn't offer anything else. That would be it. Mm -hmm. Like that would wow. that would be because their first round picks probably going to land somewhere between eight and twelve. Maybe yeah. I mean depending on how if they keep playing the way they had the last two games, it could go even lower than that. But uh, but yeah, somewhere between eight and twelve. Trevor Zegers was the ninth overall pick in 2019. That's a long time ago. But you know he's a guy who's already put up two 60-point seasons, you know, and, and is having a tougher time this year, has battled some injuries. Also, you know, went through the grinder with well, Pat Verbeek. He'll, he'll be, he'll, he'll be uh, managing an injury for the next eight weeks, six to eight weeks. He yeah. broke his left ankle. So, I mean, it's yep. uh, <laughs> it's not good. Uh, no. So he's out for a couple of months. We'll see how it does. You know, the thing is, what when a, a player who's out there trying to prove himself or needing to prove himself gets hurt. If the team does well in his absence, they can, they, they, they can start seeing a life without that player, you know, say, okay, well, you know what? We I didn't... don't think, I don't we think didn't... we have any risk of that happening with the ducks. So <laughs> no, I know. Well, they've got, 
No, especially since I mean since, they just removed I mean, Drysdale from their lineup for nothing. I mean, it's they've got they got yeah. worse in that deal in the short term at least. In you know? the short so, term, yeah, 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 for sure. But again, they've got Leo Carlson that uh, that started to play every game. He's getting more comfortable. Mason McTavish has taken a huge step forward this year. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be really good. The problem is that Mint, Mintyukov got hurt too uh, on defense, mm-hmm. and he's a guy that. Sort of make sort of made the Drysdale expandable because, as in terms of offensive defenseman, he fit the bill pretty well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but I think that it, this is a guy. I could see the Canadians trying to make a, a an offer for Zegras in the off season. Though it's uh, but I could. It's just it's it's. I don't. I, I could too. It's just that their willingness to pay what the Ducks would ask for. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that would be there. I just don't. That's just my. That's honestly, that's my own opinion. It's it's not based on any reporting I've done. I haven't talked to anyone in the organization about this, but my own intuition or feeling is that the Canadians would not be ready to step up to the price that the Ducks would be asking for for a player of Zegers's caliber. Yeah, but I could be wrong. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. I don't know. Again, there it might. It wouldn't happen very often that 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 sort of skilled player becomes available, but that yeah. doesn't mean they would be the the absolute best player that's available. What you need to find a guy that's not only going to make your team better and more of a threat offensively, and it, that's that raises the level of talent. But it's, I hope that the Canadians could find a guy that the other players could look up to and say, you know, we're following that guy. We because he again he plays the right way. The true stars right. in the NHL are not always the most skilled. They're they're the ones that also, you know, they their 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 teammates follow. Patrice Bergeron was not necessarily dazzling and every every time he touched the ice, but he definitely played the right way. And when mm-hmm. you have both, when you have a Crosby or a Nathan McKinnon type, well, then you know that's out of this world. Uh, But I think the Canadians, they just need to make sure that the what the day that they're going to go after a player that becomes available to them, they have to make sure that that player is going to help them win and not just help them make them themselves more entertaining. You know, you don't necessarily want to have another Alex Kovalev. You know, for example, he I also... was the most the most skilled guy on the team, but he was not. On many nights, yeah, but he was not the best player. On yeah, the but he was, but he was a gamer. He was a gamer. Yeah. When when the chips were down, that guy played. But anyhow, it's. I also don't think it's a given that the Ducks are going to trade him. I mean, I know that this is the natural inclination. They just acquired Cutter Gochi. He's going to enter the group probably at the end of this season. They have Troy Terry, obviously Mason McTavish. You mentioned, yeah. Uh, Ryan Strom's signed long term. They just signed Alex Kalorn, who is the type of player that you're just referring to. But Adam Henriques gone at the end of the year. Jacob Silverberg could be gone at the end of the year. Um, they have, they already have, even without Jamie Drysdale, they have an embarrassment of young defensemen, of riches on defense in terms of their young guys. Minchikov, yeah. who you mentioned, is hurt right now. Um, you know, Jackson Lacombe has been looking pretty good. They got Olin Zellweger. They got, uh, who else? It's Tristan Leno. Um, Noah Warren just played for Canada. He wasn't the best, but still. 
young defense prospect who was drafted relatively high. They got guys, you know, that's, it's like they have, there's a pipeline there of players that they don't need to trade a forward for a defenseman. It's not like they're, they're, they're completely different. And frankly, they're going to be drafting in the top five of this draft where there's tons of great defensemen. So they're going to add another one at the draft. So I don't know if there's necessarily a need for the Ducks to trade Trevor Zegras to address a hole elsewhere. Um, mm. If they want to trade Trevor Zegras because they don't, they don't feel he's part of the a winning mix in Anaheim, that's something completely different. But I think this notion that now that they have all these great forward prospects, they can afford to get rid of one in order to bolster their defense group. Their defense group is strong even without Drysdale. They have a yeah. strong young defense core. Well, not too dissimilar from the Canadians in terms of pipeline, you know. No, so. no. I mean, they 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 just lost the high end guy, but I think Mitchikov. I think Minchikov in a redraft would be a top five pick in that draft. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty, it's looking it's looking like a pretty big steal that the Ducks got with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, hey, we've reached the uh, the mid season. The Canadians played Woo-hoo. on Thursday night their uh, their forty forty first game of the season, a lackluster loss, lackluster performance against the San Jose Sharks. Man, yeah. you know we've heard Martin Saint Louis talk about. When the team plays a bad game, it's yeah, bad games will happen. It's how we respond. So yeah. they played a bad game in Philly. They got a they got a point there thanks to Caden Primo. But the way they responded against San Jose, that was not good at all. Um, no. But at, at, so you were right earlier to say, oh well, they they could draft higher if they keep playing the way they did the last two games. When I look at the first half of the season. I don't see a team that's been that's been this bad as the last two games for very mm-hmm. long. At this time last year, at the same time last year, they had just finished a seven-game losing streak or a winless streak. Uh, you can call it a losing streak. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I, I endorse uh, losing streak. Yeah, I prefer LeBron's losing not streak. Around, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've told them. I've told them you're 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 wrong on this one. This is bad. Yeah. It's a bad. It's a bad take. Um, so la- this year, the worst they had it was a four four game losing streak, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't it. They don't seem to me like a team that it would fall in such a an abyss that they would get into a prolonged slump, unless of course injuries hit even more, and all of a sudden you know you you got you got guys that are completely out of place playing prominent roles, but the current iteration of the Canadians in their, their, their current level of health too. Uh, I mean, I, I think that they're gaining slowly, but surely that level of consistency that uh, Martin Saint was looking for. So, you know, the word of the, the year was progression, progress. Well, I've, despite what we've seen the last couple of games, despite the fact that it's a team that's losing one, winning one, et cetera, and it's not hyper exciting, mm-hmm. I still see progress from that team. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, Marty says it all the time, and it's not to just echo what he says, but I think there's some truth to it, is that everyone expects progress to be, to be linear, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It takes – it goes up a fair bit, comes back a little bit, goes up. As long as the stock price is rising – over time uh the stock dipping 
you know, you don't sell the stock as soon as your stock goes down for a couple of days. Uh, you, you, you try to identify the trend in that stock and then you hold on to it knowing that eventually it'll write itself and it'll start climbing again. So I think the Canadians generally this season, like their stock price is higher now than it was at the beginning of the season, in my opinion. Um, I think in their opinion too. I mean, it's, it's, they, they, these two games aside, uh, if you take a global view of things, um, I think they are higher than they were at the start of the year. And I think they're higher than they were at the start of last year, or even at the end of last year, there's, there's progress that's been made. And so, um, but we are at the mid season point. So at the quarter season point, we did a, an awards show of sorts. Yeah. Probably more entertaining than the Golden Globes. Um, so we're going to try and <laughs> <laughs> try and up that again. Um, so yeah, but when when back when it was Ricky Gervais though that was tough to be. Well, that's it. But it's not anymore. So so no, so they're attainable. Right. It's, it's they've set an attainable bar for us in yeah. terms of entertainment value. <laughs> Let's see if we can get there. So we had a series of we had like five questions that we addressed at the quarter season mark. So we thought it'd be fun to address them again. Um, so we're going to start with. Things we did not see coming. This is maybe more applicable to the start of the season, but I think we could still come up with something here. I said at the quarter mark, I said Yol Armia being in Laval. You said the three goalie rotation. Um, why don't you start on this one? Is there something going on right now that you did not see coming? Jaden Struble. That's a that's a low hanging yeah. fruit at this point. But honestly, yes. I did not. Gosh, I, I'm 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 so surprised. Yeah, he had a bad game yesterday. Uh, People will point to the fact that he made like he had a brain fart, uh, an awful turnover, know, awful yeah. turnover that led to to a shark's goal. But it's it was not only that he had a difficult game also because of uh, how long his shifts were. So it, that, mm -hmm. that's that's an issue. Look, uh, the his his uh, his shifts yesterday. He had a one ten, a one twenty four, a one thirty seven, one fourteen, one twenty three. 201-126. Those are long shifts. That's a lot. Uh, so, yeah. and it's not as though he was like on the ice a lot on the power play either, or or at six on five. So he barely played in the third period. Played three shifts. But that mm. was the so far. It's been the outlier. He's been so steady. Uh, I think that he he comes as a pleasant surprise even for. Even for for Kent Hughes, who knows him very well, Kent Hughes was on the Antichambre the other day, and he said, "I'm so familiar with Jaden Struble. He was such good buddies with my kids, with my sons, that sometimes I would come back home, and Jaden would be cooking eggs in the kitchen, but my sons are not home." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how well he knows Jaden Struble. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would put my foot down on that situation if I were him, but anyhow. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, those eggs, those eggs are for my kids. Go home and eat your own eggs. Yeah, especially those hockey players who need their protein. Who's probably uh, cooking six eggs in the freaking in the in the frying pan? You know, it's that's like a yeah. lot of eggs. Um, so, but it, it's so, and I think it's so such an exciting development that a young player, you know rises up to the challenge, changes completely the order of the hierarchy on defense and um, forces everybody to consider him and say, okay, well, you know, you, you might have thought that this would be the order for the next five, 10 years. Well, you have to count mm -hmm. with me. And all of a sudden, the Canadians have more interesting chips to play with. And 
I'm not sure that he, he would be in, in any scenario the odd man out because, again, the, the, some guys have a great first season, then their play dip. I mean, Jack I early in the season is a good example. Other guys, mm -hmm. they just keep building on what they've done so far and they, they reach new heights. Uh, Caden Gooley, even though he, he had his struggles temporarily, temporarily, I think, follows that trend. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen with Jaden Struble, what, what he's been able to show in terms of poise, in terms of reading the play, decision-making, in such a short order, arriving at the NHL level is quite impressive, and I zero saw that come. Yeah, uh, just quickly on that, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep hammering this point home. Like Jaden Struble is a perfect example why – People need to stop, like, when are we going to trade a defenseman? When are we going to trade this guy? When are we going to trade that guy? Like, just watch what James Struble is doing and and be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. Ken Hughes didn't see it coming. But he was a second-round pick for a reason. You got to give these guys some time to show who they are, you know? And that's, like, that's that's – it's it's so it's going to be so important for the Canadians not to have an itchy trigger finger. Yes, if you have an opportunity to go out and get a piece that you're missing in your organizational flowchart, by all means, go ahead and do that. But to trade a guy just because we have too many of them and they're, they're waiver eligible, we might lose them for nothing. Like it's you got to let guys you got to let guys show themselves, you know. And that's really uh, that's really what um, I think the Canadians need to keep in mind. And I think James Trouble is Exhibit A. Of, of don't rush into decisions on any of these guys. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say what I didn't see coming it was is the well-roundedness of Uri Slavkovsky's game. I saw coming that he was going to figure something out this year. I don't think I saw coming what he was going to figure out. Because, listen, the points are not extraordinary. You know, they're good. No. He's doing all right. But oh, just it's the complete – It's not about fine. the points. It's, really it's not, not about, about the points. It's watching him night after night, playing on the top line, playing against tough opposition, and not just holding his own, but being like a difference-making player without the puck is really – I did not see that coming at the age of 19. And if he's figured that out at 19, and again, I think we, it needs more runway um, in that sense. You know, I mean, it's, it's only been 15 or so or 15 games or something like that. Um, that he's been playing on that line. And so, you know, he does need a little bit more runway, 17 games, sorry. So, but I didn't think that he was going to, like, not just grasp, but like fully grasp mm -hmm. some of the things that you need to do without the puck in order to get it back and in order to maintain possessions and things like that. So, you know, kudos on him, and he put a lot of work on it, and it's it was him – that wanted that work. It wasn't, he wasn't being forced to do anything. He wanted to improve. And he had just gave full buy-in on what the Canes were asking for him. And he found like, I think a happy medium between, or actually had a good understanding of what they mean by he needs to be physical. Now, I think a lot of big guys, they hear, ah, oh, you should be more physical. They'll start running all over the place, just trying to hit everyone as hard as they can. And he's never done that. It's not who he is. It's not his game. And he could have taken those instructions and been like, all right, you want to see physical? I'll show you physical. Um, he hasn't done that. He's actually done it the way they've asked him to do it. Like, just use your body to protect the puck, to separate people from the puck, 
to be effective on the forecheck, to be effective in getting the puck back without necessarily win your battles. Exactly. Win your battles, battle in front of the net, be a presence there. He's doing those things and he's not crushing guys. He does on occasion, but he does not seem to be going out of his way to do it. Um, So good for him. And I didn't see that coming. I think I just kind of, you didn't, you didn't uh, see that coming in the fact that it happened also almost like in a flip of a switch. Or you didn't... It happened in a span of like three weeks, man. It, he went yeah. from being, in early November, from being a complete non-factor, a, a, an invisible player on the ice. And I don't think that's exaggerating. Like, honestly, he had a stretch no, of four or five games. Laval. We're Back talking then. about Laval because it was that bad. And within three weeks of that, yeah, about three weeks, he went from that to this. Mm-hmm. That's striking. You know, and we're going to have a most improved player category coming up, and this might have been a good pick for it. But to me, it's really something I did not see coming. Right. Um, so. Okay, well, let's move on to Team MVP. Uh, first quarter, Mark, you took Sean Monahan. I took Caden Gooley. Uh, yeah. I suspect that the names might be different this time around. So why don't you go yeah, first? Yeah, I got, I, got, I got Mike Matheson. That's my guy. I mean, I, I understand Sam Montembeau. Yep. is a strong candidate here. Um, but to me, Mike Matson, what he's doing night after night, the minutes he's playing, uh, he has slowly kind of moved out. He had, he had a little stretch there where he was very mistake prone. I don't find him to be that anymore, um, at least not for very long stretches. And, and with, the, with the minutes he plays, um, I think the potential for mistakes are, is much higher. So you have to live with some because if you're asking him to play 26, 27 minutes, it's impossible not to make mistakes, especially when you play the way he does. So I think he makes the whole thing go. I mean, it's, you know, I think any Suzuki would have been a candidate. There's lots of candidates, but I mean, he is the guy, he's the most indispensable player on the team. That's how I view it. Like most valuable to the team. You take that guy away and the defense is in, in tatters. <laughs> It's really, really, he plays penalty kill, power play, even strength, plays a lot of it, plays against tough opponents. Um, and is it, it makes a difference on the ice. I, I wouldn't call him a difference maker because that kind of has a connotation of being like a, a, a game changer of sorts. He's not that, but he makes a difference out there. You know, he's, he's, and I think, I think he's their most valuable player right now. The one guy they cannot go without would be him. That's a very good argument. And, you know, the, I think that his – the level of risk that he's got in his game that, that has cost turnovers and, and mistakes here and there is, is at a level that is – that Martin Saint-Louis seems to be very comfortable with because at some point they were playing seventh defenseman and his minutes were not going down. All the other mm-hmm. defensemen, their minutes were going down, but he steadily remained at 24 sometimes 25 minutes. Uh, and, you know, w- when you play 7D or when when you think, if you choose to play 6D, but you have a seventh one that is playable, well, that means that you have depth. That means that you have, you could choose to play your third duo, your third pairing a bit more than just the merely through 13, 14 minutes a night. You could, could bring it more uh, to 17 or 18 Uh, mm. and then reduce probably the pressure on the minutes of a guy like Matheson. But that that's not what has happened. So it shows how indispensable 
indispensable he is in, in the eyes of the Canadians coaching staff because no matter the situation, he's always there. I'm surprised yeah. personally. I, I I would have thought that they would find other solutions uh, on the PK, that they mm-hmm. would try to manage his minutes a little bit more, five on five. Uh, but this is also a team that's been trailing games a lot. And he's he's the defenseman you want on the ice when the team is trailing because you, you'll be re- more ready to accept mistakes if that means that it can generate more offense in return. He's also on when they're when they're, when they're protecting a lead, though. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, he's always that's on. Yeah, always on. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is a perfectly good pick. Uh, MVP. It's weird, huh? Because he has not been their best player, but but I, I think I have to go with Nitsuzuki. Yeah, it's fair. It's it's a bit meh. It's like it's like going see him go to the All Star game. It's like. Okay, yeah. If not him, then who? Could have been Matheson. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, it, it's it's frustrating with Suzuki because he's, he's there's so much that's being asked of him. We talk. I just talked about uh, the ice time for Matheson. The fact that he, you know, he he takes and he gives uh, with with mm-hmm. such an ice time. But with Suzuki, I think I feel that lately it's taken really a toll on him. Uh, And Caulfield is having all sorts of struggles scoring goals. Uh, mm-hmm. Slavkovsky, you cannot count on him as a 19-year-old winger to be the driver on his line. So I, I think that the, the lack of a second line, a potent second line, the absence of Kirby Doc makes it so that the, the fully expected pressure or additional responsibilities that were to be put on Suzuki, now you're seeing the way that it's gone on, it, uh, on him. But... Despite all that, he remains a guy that that's a steady contributor. I mean, uh, he's he's got 34 points in 41 games. Uh, his defensive numbers are really, really improved compared to uh, years past. Expected mm-hmm. goals against uh, are better, even on the road, than they know, than they are at home. Um, so, I mean, the whole line has improved. Or, spending less time in their end. Sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, you have uh, Caulfield and Slavkovsky that will have the occasional brain cramp uh, with missed assignments and being up, hypnotized by the puck. But for the most part, I think that this line is doing better in the defensive part of the game. So it's for all the, it's, it's not with tons of enthusiasm. And I could have mentioned Montembeau too. Uh, although he probably misses the cut because of the numbers of games played. Uh, mm-hmm. But Suzuki remains, I, I guess, my, my choice through all that. So just as a quick just add on to that. So since December 4th, which is when Suzuki first – well, not first played, but this stretch of games with Caulfield and Slavkowski began on that date. So he's played 17 games. Uh, he has 14 points in those 17 games, which is okay. Uh, however, over that same stretch – Some of the other players who have 14 points in the NHL. Um, and they don't all have the same amount of games, but they're pretty close. You know, Chris Letang, Victor Hedman, Kale McCarr, Ryan O'Reilly, Evgeny Malkin, Brad Marchand, Patrick Kane, Steven Stamkos, Chris Kreider, Clayton Keller, Nico Hichier, Rasmus Dahlin, and Leon Dreisaitl, among others. You know, but these are the types – so this is the type of company he's keeping since that point. So, yes, he's not a world beater. But he has a more than respectable 
point total. He's basically he's tied for 68th since then. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he's starting to, he's starting to find something as far as who he is and what, he, what he, what he, what he's going to ultimately be. And I think that's, that's an encouraging sign for the Canadians. Yeah. Um, and as long as we don't have Doc around to, to alleviate, alleviate the pressure and to put some comp, inner competition between those two. I mean, it's, uh, it's, we're not going to have a full picture. No, well, that, that only adds to the quality of the performance, I think. Um, yeah. Okay, most improved. So I kind of blew mine already because uh, as the things we did not see coming, but yeah. uh, I don't want to use Struble, even though that's the guy I think deserves this. Um, but I honestly think, and it's going to seem weird, but like I'm going to give this to Brendan Gallagher. Even because the the numbers aren't there, I get it. Um, he went 24 games without scoring a goal, but I think his mentality has improved. Where he doesn't allow something like that to completely kill him, um, he can contribute in other ways, and he recognizes that. He recognizes the importance of that. Um, so I think he handled that 24 game drought with a lot of maturity and still made contributions. Um, I was looking at it the other day for another reason, not, and you know, I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, for another reason that was not, uh, had nothing to do with, with Brendan Gallagher. And I checked it out. And in terms of individual expected goals in the NHL, Brendan Gallagher, This is at five on five. Yeah. Uh, no other filters. Brendan Gallagher is 16th in the NHL in individual expected goals. 9.76 individual expected goals in 41 games. You know who's 15th? Connor McDavid. Wow. Okay. He is he is just a shade below Connor McDavid in individual expected goals. He's ahead of Sidney Crosby. He's ahead of Nikita Kucherov. He's ahead of. Alexander Barkov, Braden Point. I mean, there's, you know, Owen Tippett, Jesperi Kakinim, he's 21st, for crying out loud. So, so maybe that will make you question the, Josh the validity is, of this. Uh, I'm surprised well, Josh Anderson's not ahead of uh, of Gallagher, though, by this No, well, because he's tailed off. Because he's tailed off. Like, even though he started scoring goals, his and even though the breakaways are keep coming every game, oh uh, he tailed off from the, from, the, from the beginning of the season. He's not even – I don't even think he's in the top 100. I don't think I, I can try to looking for him. Oh, there he is. He's 34th. So he used to be up where Gallagher was. Yeah. Uh, even Caulfield's ahead of him. Caulfield's 30th at 8.87. So the point being that Caulfield has five goals at five on five, 8.87 expected. Josh has five at 8.74 expected. And Brendan has, what does he have, seven? Six at five on five, 9.76 expected. But the 9.76 expected goals is 16th in the NHL. So... I think he's playing good hockey. He's not being rewarded for it, but I think it'll, it won't, it's not going to come at the, uh, he's probably always going to have more expected goals than actual goals. It's always been like that with him, but the expected goal number shows that he's, he's making things happen. You know, like it's, it's really um, indicative of a player who's, who's being effective without necessarily being rewarded for it. And so good on him because I think one of our first episodes on this platform was devoted to talking about how worrisome Brendan Gallagher's play was. You know, it's That's like the first yeah. week of the season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were kind of we were feeling sad about it, you know? And so 
Um, I think he's been playing good hockey. So it's most improved goes to him based on that episode and this one. All right. My most improved goes to Caden Primo. Because uh, Caden yeah. Primo, uh, first, a guy who, you know, the goalies need to play in mm-hmm. order to get better. They need to find their rhythm. And he's par- playing very little. And despite that, it's night and day with the, his performances from years past. And so that's, I think that's even more impressive. He's got, he's played in nine games. His save percentage at 9.05. He's already stole probably three games uh, out of those nine. Uh, so his save percentage, 9.05, in, in all of the years past combined, uh, prior to this season, his save percentage was 8.71 in mm-hmm. 21 games. Uh, he had a goal against average of 4.11. Uh, so, you know, you, you take some, you leave some when it comes to goals against average. But so he was at 4.11 uh, in years past. So his, his career numbers. And this year he's at 3.13. So so he, he shaved off a, a whole goal per game. Uh, and I think that the biggest difference is right now he looks like an NHL goalie. When I say yeah. it, it, you know what, most improved from a guy who's this, you could see. The, the the deer caught in the headlights, you could see his eyes behind his mask. Yeah. Years past. Like he, that's how his body language was so freaking afraid, or so it seemed. Mm-hmm. It's body language. It was probably not reality, but it's what it looked like. And this year, a lot more composed. He gives up a by goal. He doesn't get crushed by it. He'll rebounds. Um All of a sudden, he looks like an NHL goalie that has a a, a snowball effect also on his teammates who all of a sudden have raised their level of confidence. And okay, whether it's Primo or Montembeau or Allen, it, even if it's the kid, we're still good. And uh-huh. he made so much, so much progress. You know, I keep hearing all the panelists on different TV shows, oh, the three goalie system has hurt this guy, that guy. And depending on your, your narrative or, or the day of the week, it's going to hurt one goalie more than the other. But Primo has benefited from all this extra work that he has done with Eric Raymond, uh, whether it's, you know, on the, um, in the second sheet of ice, On practice days, you know, those 20 minutes that each goalie has by themselves with the goalie coach. I think that he's made a lot of progress there. He's made a lot of progress in the video room, too. And a lot of bad tendencies have been cleaned up from his game. So he's mm-hmm. 24 years old. and Still young all, for a goalie. Still young for a goalie. So I, I yeah. think that holding on to him uh, might have been – looks like the wise choice, not – just throwing him away and giving it for free. Um, so it, I, I think he's the most improved team, player on that team. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good pick. And again, I always go back to this. Sorry to, to hammer the same thing, but I was just going to check on Money Puck where he stands in terms of his goal saved above expected per 60. Um, you know who's second in the league right now in goal saved above expected per 60? Is Charlie Lindgren. <laughs> Charlie Lindgren is a goaltender I never thought was going to be an NHL goaltender. Full honesty, I did not think he had it in him. But I judged him too young, honestly. And so, and I, I thought the same thing about Caden Primo. And again, judged him too young. I'm sure 
the Panthers didn't want to lose Sam Montembeau, but I feel like they judged him too young. They figured he was going to slide through waivers, just like the Canadians are convinced Caden Prumio is not going to get through waivers. And every time you watch him play, you're like maybe like I I thought they were I thought they were out of their minds at the beginning of the season. Like who the hell is going to pick up Caden Primo? Right. Like what are you talking about? Like who is going to get who's going to take this guy? Every time he plays a game, I'm thinking they're right. And obviously they have information that we don't have, and they 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 seemed quite convinced that that they actually knew which team was going to take him. But they did. I mean, in terms of goal saved above expected per sixty. He's right there. Like Sam Montembeau, among goalies who played five games, Sam Montembeau's 35th in the league, Jake Allen's 37th, and Caden's 39th. Yeah. So none of them are in the top 32, worth noting. But all three of them are bunched together, basically from that one metric alone, um, basically playing at a very similar level, you know? And so it's uh, like his, his save percentage, like he's basically playing as expected. Wins above replacement, zero. That's not a big deal. Save percentage on unblocked shots, 954, which is pretty pretty good at five on five. Um, yeah, he's doing great. Really doing well. So good on him, and I think it's a lesson to everyone when it comes to goalies. Give him some more time. Okay. Yeah. Next category, most worrisome trend. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll go first with that. Sure. Uh, it's a long trend. It's not just this first half season. It's been going on for years. Uh, but the PK is horrible. The PK, and it doesn't get fixed. Look, I'm scrolling. As I talk to you, I'm going back season after season. Ah, there it is. Here's the threshold. Since the 2017 2018 season. Mm-hmm. They're last in the league on in the on the PK, not cumulatively from the 2017-18 season to now. They're the worst team in the NHL on the PK, and this year, this year it doesn't get give any signs of getting any better. I mean, they're they're seventy three percent. They're twenty eighth in the league as we speak, so they're mm-hmm. not the worst in the league at today. Uh, but it's just that it seems as though as much. I thought that it would be an easier problem to fix than the power play because it's it's just it's reads and positioning. It shouldn't be just on sheer talent, but it it just boggles the mind how vulnerable they've they've proven to be night after night on the PK. So that's mm-hmm. a worsened trend because I don't know where the 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 answer is going to come from. You can you can change your overall pattern. Say, oh, we're going to go from. Uh, uh, you know, a diamond formation and go back to a square. We're going to do, I don't know, one, one, two, whatever. Um, but you need at some point to, to, to get results there on the PK and they're not getting it. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily a matter of this season alone. It, it goes way back. So that, that's the worrisome trend for me because I don't know when this is going to end. No, that's, uh, no, that's a good one. I got to agree. And, and it's, um, you know what I find weird? There was a time, there was, there was a point where, and this was under Marty, I think it was last season, where they decided to become really much more aggressive higher up the ice. Mm-hmm. Try and make the entry more difficult. And they basically stopped doing that. And I don't understand why they would stop doing that because 
their problem is when the team gets set up. <laughs> like that's the issue. So yes, you got to fix that. But why would you not try to prevent the team from getting set up? And there was a time like Jake Evans was super effective at it. Dvorak had a stretch where he was good at it. Obviously, he's not around anymore. Uh, Suzuki's good at it. Army is good at it. Like they have guys who can do that, who can hunt down pucks by themselves, basically, and and at least be disruptive on the entry. And for whatever reason, they decided to stop doing that. And I really don't agree with it. <laughs> if I were them, I would um, I would continue doing that. Um, the Canadians played the Philadelphia Flyers a couple of nights ago, and the Flyers have the second best PK in the league, but they are also the team that scored the most goals shorthanded. They've got 10. So yeah. maybe that goes to show that. And the team, uh, the other team that's got 10, the Calgary Flames are fifth. The team that's got nine is the Dallas Stars, they're fourth. You know, is there something there? Aggression up ice. Aggression up ice, man. I really think it's it's something that um, that can hide a lot of the warts on your penalty kill, you know? And it's like it's and it's not even even I mean the shorthanded goals I think are like a, a good proxy for what this does, but like really even if you don't score a goal off of it, it just it just means less possession time in your own end if you at least disrupt it and make them double back and restart their, their breakout or or just some sort of disruption to the way they come up ice. But if you watch them recently, they, they don't do it at all. They're just they're just hanging back. Like, yes, they have a four-checker up there, but he has no real intent of being disruptive. He's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that, that the penalty kill um, could use. Um, my worrisome trend, I mean, I don't want to make too much of it, but Klokofiel's shoulder kind of has me cons- like I would I would be a little worried about it. like I don't know what's going on with him shooting the puck. You know, I just mentioned the expected goals number earlier. Well, you know, when you're not a great finisher, your expected goals number is going to be higher than your goals number. So, it's a good thing that he's still getting the chances, but Cole's finishing is not where it used to be. And you know, I don't know if remember last year I spoke to a, a, an orthopedic surgeon just as Cole was ready to get surgery. And he kind of pegged it at like two years until you can get back to normal. Josh Anderson pegged it at something like 18 months, you know, and, but said once it did come back, it was, it was great. Same surgery. So I think what we're seeing is the Canes have to hope is that Cole's just kind of getting his shoulder back up to speed, um, which is expected with surgery that this is of this magnitude. But his finishing skills have, have gone down. Like there's, there's no denying that at this point. I mean, you know, no, because the rest of this game has actually gotten better this season. It's gotten, it's exactly. It's gotten yeah. better. It's finishing's gone down. So let's see, you know, let's see if with more time and maybe the shoulders factory refuses to admit it because that would be an excuse and players don't make excuses, but it would be a legitimate reason as well. Um, let's see. But for now, It's not looking like he's the same finisher as he was before. So It's funny maybe he'll we, prove me wrong. We were discussing that in my other podcast, Tellement Hockey, today at Radio Canada, and Martin mm. Leclerc was mentioning. You it. have another podcast? I do. You're cheating on me? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Different language, though. <laughs> um, and he was uh, Martin was mentioning how it's it's mainly it's not necessarily a matter of velocity. It's really 
just the quickness of the release that that seems to be an issue. You know, there used to be a time where he was beating he was beating goalies because his release was so fast that you you know the goalie would blink and and the shot would have gone. Now mm -hmm. there's a lot more hesitation. Controls the puck, tries to find the right angle, and the opportunity closes itself. You've got a body in front. The goalie gets better. He knows that he's going to try up, up and and short side, or that he's mm -hmm. going to try some weird deviation from, uh, from uh, from a bad angle, things like that. They've come to expect what he's going to try to do. And I know that I brought that point in in a previous episode. But I think that despite his young age, he'll have to reinvent himself a little bit as a shooter and try to find new ways to score, uh, you know, A, by continuing to be a better passer because he's going, he's not, if he's not just a, a shooting threat, he's going to give himself more space because they're going to he's going to have the defense guessing. But also shooting from different spots, going inside more. Uh, he had tried to do that once... Marty asked his players to do so like so vehemently a few weeks ago and all of a sudden you see him starting to go back on the perimeter a bit much so uh, the shoulder is a good point but I I wonder if it's also just a matter of confidence where you know he hold on to he holds on to the puck a tad too long because the confidence is not where it should be I don't I don't buy that I don't think Cole Caulfield has ever had an issue with confidence. I don't, I really honestly, like, I don't think that I personally, that's my opinion. It's, it's not a confidence thing. It's, it's, there are, I think, well, I think there's a possibility they just can't physically release it as quickly as he used to, which mm -hmm. I obviously mentioned. There's also the reality that he's not cheating to get into scoring positions the way he did as much before because of the other areas of his game that he's trying to grind out. And then, you know, I think what you said about goalies figuring him out is that's a real thing. You know, it's, it's that he does need to change his book a little bit. Um, but I don't think confidence is an issue with him. I think that's – there's one thing that guy knows how to do is score goals, and he knows it. Like, it's so – he's just got to figure it out. So we'll see. But if it's if it's physical, then, then we'll have to see. All right, final category. Let's go through this quickly. Um, but which player has been most put to the test? At the quarter mark, I took Monaghan, even though he was my MVP, which I might wind up taking my MVP again. Um, and you took Kovacevic. Um, so which player do you think is being pushed beyond his capabilities? Well, I mean, I already said Suzuki, so it's tough to uh, it's tough to go back to him. Although, yeah, I, I, I think in all logic, I, I would – I would keep Suzuki there for the same arguments I said before. Okay. Um, I think Jake Evans. I'm going to take Jake Evans because mm -hmm. Jake Evans is a fourth-line center, and it seems to me that he's never able to play fourth-line center. He always starts there. Injuries happen, this, that, and the other thing, and he's a fourth-line center who kills penalties. That's what he does, and that's what he's good at. Um, having him play higher up the lineup, Having him play on the wing, even though he had some success there, it's just like it just seems like something that's out of his skill set, and it doesn't put him in the best position to succeed. But the Canadians don't really have a choice, so no, I'll go with that. I, okay, I, I like I like his play though. It's not it's there are things that you know by playing him more you won't get out of him, 
He's not gonna. He's not gonna become a scorer. Or there, there's things that will forever lack in his game. But I get that they keep thinking that there is more to him than. So do I. So do I. Because you you see it sometimes, you know. But it's just. I love the guy. I think he's. I think he's. He's. He's a competitive guy, and he's got more skill than than he gets credit for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marty keeps saying there's more offense there than than you guys give him credit for, but it's. Where is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know him playing, him starting overtime the other night. I mean, God bless the guy, but God, I mean, honestly, like, what are you doing? Like, it's just like it's not, it's not who he is. Even if it was a face-off get-off, like it's just like be who you are. He would tell you that's not who he is. Hundred percent flattered. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's absolutely. He's the most self-aware hockey player I think I've ever covered in my life. Like it's honestly like there's no, there's no illusions of grandeur in Jake Evans, you know. But it's it's so I think if he if he ever got to play that role, I think he would thrive in it. And it's not. I'm not saying he's playing badly. It's just it's just unfortunate that he's not able to play the role in which he would have the most success. That's all. All right, Arpin, you're in Switzerland, and the good thing is I'm not going to ask you to t- talk about. David Ronbacker for 25 minutes. You're going to save some for your articles in The Athletic. But mm-hmm. tell me about David Ronbacker. <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen him play yet. I watched him practice once. Um, I met with him for an, uh, for a half hour the other day. Had a lovely conversation. Um, I spoke to his coach. I've spoken to a lot of people. And I guess the one thing I would say is that There seems to be a lot of concern in Montreal over how things are going with Cloton. And listen, they're not going well, that's for sure. And David did not hide the fact that all the losing is weighing on him. But I think there's a process that he needed to go through. Um, that he's kind of gone through. You know, I think Ken Hughes mentioned the other day on La Chambre, you mentioned the appearance he made. And he said, you know, he, he his impression was that, you know, when he went back, he, he he's the fifth overall pick. He kind of wanted to show a lot more than that. And when I spoke to Larry Mitchell, who is his, now his coach, who's also the general manager of the team who fired the previous coach, who was Jerry Fleming, um, said the exact same thing. I was like, so I was like, oh, I can tell you've been speaking to Ken Hughes because Ken Hughes just said that on TV. He's like, well, yeah, I have, but, you know, it's just it's just true, you know? And so, um, and David didn't deny that. You know, he did not deny that he came back and he had, he had, he felt he had something to prove, whereas in reality, he he didn't. And so, He kind of realizes that, and 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 I'm going to find out. I'm going to watch him play tonight. Um, they're playing at home tonight. They're playing in Ambry tomorrow, as I mentioned. I'm going to watch both games, see how. But the last few games, he's been really good. And, you know, he's paired with Nate Bolio. Funny story. This, I think only you'll find this funny because you've covered Nate Bolio. But yeah. So I asked to speak to Nate Bolio after practice. To their PR guy, who's 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 very helpful and wants to wants to wants to help as much as he can. And so while I was talking to Larry Mitchell uh, in his office, um, I got a text from the Clouton PR person that said, "I asked Nate if he wants if he could do an interview, and he said he didn't want to do the interview, and he left." So, I the funny part about that That's is I told him, I had told the PR guy that, "Listen, can you ask Nate that I want to speak to him, but he's probably going to say no and he's probably going to leave, but just ask anyway." He's like, "Yeah, no problem. Why would he say no?" I was like, uh, well, go go find out. You know, let's go see it. <laughs> sure enough. Sure enough, he said no. But Nate Nate is David's D partner right now. And, yeah. you know, I mean things things are not going as well as 
Well, I shouldn't even say this. Like it's, it, this is another thing is that uh, I think there's a misconception over what Cloton was expected to do this year. Um, speaking to some other people on other teams, what Cloton did last year was the remarkable thing. Like it's very rare in this league, apparently that the team gets promoted from the Swiss league and immediately enters the playoff conversation. Like, like Cloton made it to the play in round so they didn't make the playoffs technically, but they were playing postseason games. Apparently, that's excessively rare. Like that just doesn't happen. So maybe Clinton being as bad as they are is somewhat unexpected, but no one expected them to make the playoffs. Like, like you look at like the preseason predictions from the Swiss media or the media who cover this league, no one took them to make the playoffs. So, so maybe the extent of it is somewhat unexpected, but I think that everyone knew and including the Canadians, that this was probably going to be a more challenging year. Um, you know, Cloton's a, Cloton's a small market team, they, and there's no salary cap in this league. And so, you know, some of the wealthier teams are perennially good. Some of the poorer teams are perennially bad. Cloton's one of them. Um, but I know that Larry Mitchell, you know, David's not one to kind of speak about himself in these ways, but he says, actually, David said himself, I feel like I'm playing – more of my, my game. I've, I've gotten back to my game. He also had an injury that obviously derailed things. But Larry Mitchell is like, you know, for you to, for, for, for even now, like last year it was something, but now for him to be playing, you know, he pointed out the last game, uh, he played 24 minutes. And, and that's um, still rare in this league. Like you go to the Swiss league on elite prospects or whatever site you want to use, go through the rosters and A, the good thing about elite prospects is you'll, you'll have the little NHL team logo on the roster to say that this player has been drafted by that team. Go look for players. Go look for drafted players playing in this league. Go look for players born after 2000 playing in this league. There's not a lot of them. It's an older league. It's a mature league. They're men. They know how to play the game. And it's, it's difficult for a young player to succeed in this league. And Ryan doing that. I mean, even though he's had some difficulties, but I think he went through a necessary process um, to sort of grapple with his newfound status, let's say. I mean, listen, I spoke to, I spoke to him for 30 minutes in a, in a bakery in Cloton. There's a huge puck in the middle of a roundabout just outside the bakery that has the Cloton logo on it. He's sitting there for 30 minutes. The place is packed. Not one person looked at him, talked to him, let alone talked to him, asked for a photo, nothing. No one even knew he was there. And he was fine with it. <laughs> like, that's like, so. Well, you should so enjoy it because at the end, well, that's it. Laval, at the end of it's the gonna season, be over. it'll be a different story. <laughs> it's going to be a different story. So I think, you know, there's a lot of processes that he's going to need to go through, but I think grappling with um, what he's become, a top five NHL pick, uh, is one of them, and and he's coming out the other side of that right now. Uh, you mentioned that he played 24 minutes the last uh, last game. His season average is 18-20. Uh, he's got six points in 19 games. Actually, his production seems to be a bit uh, down from last season. How does he view his... Look at how many game? goals Cloton has scored. Yeah. It's yeah, really... You, it's need, the, you need to score some goals to get some points. You know, I mean, they don't score goals. I think yeah. they've scored, I think it's six in the last five, something like that. Like they don't, they don't score. So, 
you know, I think you can make the argument, well, if he's so good that he should, he should be driving play and, and creating offense, but that's, it's not the primary part of his game. That's, that's really of importance. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's not, he starts offense like his strength is starting offense. So he's not going to be a guy who's going to carry the puck all the way up the ice. No. He's going to move it. He's going to join the rush. He's going to be part of the offense. But the key part, key word being part, he's not going to lead the offense necessarily. He'll start it by winning the puck back in his own end, getting it up, and then joining the rush. But, you know, it's like when we talk about small week and, you know, weak link and strong link games and how soccer you require 10 passes in order to create a goal. And if one guy in that link screws it up, the goal's not happening. Well, with all due respect, there's 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 a lot of weak links on Plotin right now. It's not really the the chain of the chain of offense is not really producing itself the way they would have hoped. So I think there's there is some context to his point totals. But again, that's why I want to go see him live and, and kind of watch him in his in his sure. environment. Um, I will report back on that. Right, maybe next Friday. Okay, let me squeeze one more. Uh, has he expressed any? regret or second guessing of his own of having expressed his preference of going back to Switzerland because things could have been different. Had he he was disappointed to get cut. He was disappointed to get cut from the Canadians. He thought, okay, he thought he, 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 but I don't, if, if he wasn't going to play in Montreal or Laval, he, there's, I don't think there's anywhere he'd rather be than here. No, but I, I was referring more to Laval than to Montreal. I think there's no, There's no surprise that he was cut from the Canadians. I mean, the, yeah, but I thought, I, I think, but even that decision, even that decision was not his. That was the Canadians' decision. Maybe the Canadians regret it, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's on David. That's not, that's, even if David no, said, you remember, you remember, I remember. We spoke to him at the, at the combine, he said, my preference would be to go back, finish my, I think my that, studies so that, so that's I what I'm trying to, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell you is that that changed over the course of, by the time he had gotten to training camp, Mm-hmm. He saw himself in that environment, whether it was in Laval or Montreal, because Laval, you're a phone call away. You're like, you're on the doorstep of the NHL. Like it's not. So I think part of his process at the beginning of this season was was what I discussed, but also dealing with the disappointment of not being kept uh, mm-hmm. over there. But I mean, he legitimately wanted to try and make the NHL team. He just didn't, you know, he was cut relatively early in camp. I think the Canadians wanted him. To sort of have his reset because the Swiss League was already started, you know. So if they were going to send him to Switzerland, I don't know. I didn't. I I don't know what the reasoning was behind it, but I'm guessing that they're like, if we're going to send him to Switzerland, might as well send him now. They're already playing games. Let's let him get his season going there. But he admitted that there was a fair amount of, and I even asked him, like, so your mind changed on that? Like, you're you're you. I remember you telling us and others that all things being equal, I'd like to go back to Clodden, finish my schooling, do this, do that. And he's like, yeah, I did change my mind. I mean, people are allowed to change their minds. It's like it's, like, you know, it's <laughs> like it's. I changed my mind. I got there. I played in that game against New Jersey in the Bell Center. The place was packed. I was playing with NHL players, like some NHL players at least. It's it's it was cool. I liked it, you know. And I would have liked to have stayed there, but it didn't work out that way. So, yeah, you know, he was he was disappointed, but I think he quickly got over it. And uh, and you know, despite all the losing and everything, I think he seems quite happy here. And so I know that there's been some speculation that. Fans are going to pull him out of here. I, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I don't, I can't, I didn't bring it up with him. I did bring up, uh, I'll leave you with this, but I did bring up the thought of, have you put any thought to 
perhaps going to Laval or even maybe even Montreal once your season here is done. And he immediately said, no, he's like, you know what? No, I'm here. I'm 100% focused on my team, on this team, on this season. If that happens afterwards, fine, but I've put no thought into it. I've put no energy into it. This is where That's I am. Good. That's good. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm in the present right now. Yeah. And, um, so that's uh that's where he yeah, stands that, on that's that what, that's what you want players to do be in the present not project themselves where they're yeah. going to be later etc it's just the task at hand yeah it's fine that's what he's doing so we'll see how this weekend goes i'm excited to watch yeah. him play awesome so uh well i'll be glad to uh to see you back when you're back from uh montreal you still owe me a beer by the way yeah 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 don't worry yeah. it'll be paid it's okay All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday uh, for another edition of the Basu and Gadin Notebook. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.